You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Hokies fans, and welcome in to episode 218 of the Tech Sideline podcast as we record on Wednesday. January 12th, 2022. I did get that right, right, guys? Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this edition of the TSL podcast is sponsored by the Southeast Regional Training Center, creating opportunities for Olympic hopefuls here in Blacksburg. Your donations support the, th- the Southeast Regional Training Center and help Virginia Tech Wrestling at the same time. What does that mean? Visit southeastrtc.com to find out and to learn more. So this is our first podcast since uh, December 27th. When one of our staffers <clears throat> foolishly predicted that Virginia Tech would defeat Maryland in the pinstripe bowl. <laughs> Who was that staffer? We will publicly embarrass him coming up on episode 218, which starts right now. So welcome back. I'm Tech Sideline founder and head honcho Will Stewart. The uh, handsome and talented Jake Lyman is still on break. And the lovely and talented Katie Adams is buried under sorority rush commitments. They've got her working hard all week. So you are stuck with me. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) With me today is TSL managing editor David Cunningham across the way. And to my right is lead analyst Chris Coleman. My firstborn progeny Malcolm is producing today as usual. And in the fourth chair, drafted in the service at literally midnight last night, is Nick Brown of the Virginia Tech Sports Media and Analytics Program. I was planning this whole thing, and I totally for, kept forgetting. The, I was driving chair. around the truck like, you got to text Nick. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the bathroom. You got to text Nick. And, you know, just didn't remember till midnight last <laughs> night. Fortunately, he's young, so he was still up. So uh, first things first, if you are watching us on YouTube, stop right now and click the like and subscribe button. And... Uh, this, this is kind of interesting. I was in a Twitter DM exchange with, I think he calls himself Joe Rogers, Joe Rogers yeah. 38 or something like that. Yeah, he was the starting running back for Virginia Tech and uh, <laughs> NCAA football game yes. that year. So, so Joe and I were having a DM conversation. He said, oh, I like your podcast. And I said, you ever watch it on YouTube? And he goes, you guys are on YouTube? I'm like, yes. So if you are, I'm, I don't even need to look at the camera as I say this. If you're listening to us and you're not aware that you're that we're on YouTube, yes, this whole podcast is a whole big video production. So go check us out on uh, Tech Sideline YouTube. And in the future, we might actually prefer that you watch on YouTube so we can monetize it better. Yes, <laughs> um, we are in discussions as a staff about that. So also over on YouTube, we are fast approaching 5,000 subscribers. So please get us there because the way YouTube works, once you get to 5,000 subscribers, YouTube sends money to all of your subscribers. So it's amazing. So everybody like and subscribe. (laughs) So, you know, usually our hosts go through all the places you can listen to us. But clearly, if you're listening to us, you already know where to listen to us. So I'm going to bypass that. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, that said, parts of this podcast I'm fairly well prepared for. 
other parts I'm not. So uh, I'm counting on you guys to carry the load for me here. And since it's our first podcast since December 27th, we have not done a podcast since the Pinstripe Bowl. I don't really want to get into the Pinstripe Bowl in much detail. I do want to cover one thing, though. Um, and this is, you know me, I'm kind of random. 54 to 10. And that was Virginia Tech's worst loss by margin in a bowl since, ni- in, since 1982. When I was still in high school, if you're watching on YouTube, you, you see this gray hair? That was a while ago. Yeah, and one of those two games have in common. Uh, so the Gator Bowl against UNC was a safety-playing quarterback for Virginia Tech. Well, I'm talking about the Vanderbilt game in 1982. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. I'm yeah, talking about But, but, but previously, the, wor- the, the worst, largest the margin of victory was the, for the a bowl. Gator Bowl. Right. 42 the to one three he's in the talking about. Okay, okay. Gator Bowl. Yeah. So, continue. so the bowl game against UNC... That was Nick Sorensen playing quarterback, right. right? And he was a safety, converted to quarterback. And this ball game, we have a uh, H-back slash running back converted to quarterback. And what happens? It's the, it's the two, it's it's two worst losses, two, two worst bowl losses in Virginia Tech history. And that, that's what happens when you don't have, when you can't play an actual real quarterback. It uh, tends to lead to bad things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so getting back to that 19, I, I, I wanted to take this little trip down. I wouldn't call it memory. And for me, it was probably some memory lane. I was 17 years old. So in, in, I looked, I went and looked up tech's schedule in 1982. And of course, back then college football, regular seasons were 11 games. Did you know that Nick? Mm-hmm. Did, did, did. did you guys know they used I to play? That, yes. Yeah. And at some point before that, it was 10 games. If you go yeah. back far enough in history, it was just 10 games. Anyway. What I found interesting was Tech played seven home games that year out of 11. And then there was a, an eighth game that was uh, against VMI in Norfolk. So Tech only had three road games that year. And the home schedule was pretty killer. They had Miami at home, started with Richmond on the road, beat them, played Miami at home, and lost 14-8. to eight. And if I remember my – and maybe somebody in, in the YouTube chat can um, – remember this for me because I didn't get a chance to research it. I'm pretty sure that's the game where David Marvel, a defensive lineman for Virginia Tech, tackled Jim Kelly, who later went on to become the the Bills quarterback, tackled Jim Kelly on a scramble and separated Jim Kelly's shoulder and knocked him out of the game. And Mark Rick came in the game, right? Yeah, Mark Rick came in the game. That's right. We've talked about that. Played William and Mary at home, Wake Forest home, lost to Wake Forest 13-10. to And that was a Wake Forest team that went 3-8. and <laughs> all right, so I'm I'm got a point here. This is all building up to something. Uh, played West Virginia at home. So so far I've listed Miami, Wake, West Virginia. Played Kentucky at home. Played Virginia at home. So it was a really killer home. So schedule. we were an independent team, and we played a better schedule back then than we do now. That is correct, sir. Uh, so that Virginia Tech team wound up going <laughs> seven and four and not making a bowl game. So I'm looking at that Wake Forest loss, and I'm thinking that's the one that did it because. Tech without that would have been four and one at one point. They they were, so here's here's the punchline. They they won four out of their last five, and the one loss was forty five to nothing to Vanderbilt. To Vanderbilt, yeah. and Vandy went eight and four that year, and then went to a bowl game. So, you know, they were a decent team. So, enough of the trip down memory lane. What a one great thing. memory! Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I was in high school. Actually, it's not a memory for me at all. I have no idea that happened. I, I was a senior in high school, and and I think I had. <laughs> committed to tech I mean, you said I, that was that was 82 yeah my dad was that 12. was that was 17 years before i was born yeah that's right so 
All right, so now it comes the public embarrassment part uh, in which we reveal, <laughs> no no surprise, that David Cunningham was the one who picked Virginia Tech to uh, beat Maryland in the uh, pinstripe ball. I almost did, in David's defense, until I found out all those players were going to be out. Yeah. And, and then I changed it. And... I, I, in complete honesty, I did not – I knew Tech was not going to be that good, but I just thought Maryland was bad. Right. Like, I just thought Mar- Maryland's defense could not stop anybody well, all season. I don't. And Maryland's offense, they put up good numbers through the air, but they couldn't run the ball. So I figured, all right, I think Tech will be able to to limit. It's just can Tech score? And we all saw what Tech could not score. I think well, it becomes Chris, a, Chris said the one thing you can't do is give up an early score <laughs> on special teams. Because <laughs> they're, yeah. I, I actually said they're a horrible return team. They're one of the best special teams, <laughs> you know, in returns in the country. And then, yeah. sure enough, bam, they break one off. And, and JC Bryce had said, "Look, because all these opt outs and stuff, everybody's." gotten bumped up on special teams. Right. You know? So your second and third stringers on special teams are now starting on special Which I'm teams sure is something not a lot of people thought about. I mean, right. I definitely, like until JC said that, didn't even, yeah. you know, because right. every, everybody's probably just like, okay, you know. But but the, he, as he said, Shabest the, had him practicing, had, had the young guys, guys, you know, two threes behind him getting reps all year. And it's like, okay, well, so that won't make much of a difference, right? Opening punt return for a touchdown. But I'll be honest with you. I spent the second half of the game talking to friends and not even watching well, the game. I so I have no idea attention. what happened. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, so I don't really want to. I don't really want to talk about the game all that much. But I will say that it's much, much easier to play football when you know the, the exact – what the other team is going to do exactly. Yeah. And they knew exactly what we were going to do. Right. Uh, they – they did not respect our passing game at all, and they shouldn't because Virginia Tech's leading receiver at wide receiver heading into that game had caught one pass all year. Uh, and we played with a running back slash H-back at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to worry about the pass. All you have to do is sell out against the run. Yeah, occasionally you might give up a shot downfield, which they did a couple of times, but nothing major. And it's just it's just easy to play <laughs> against an It was not – I tell you, I was there. It was not – not fun to watch. And Maryland players, they, they smelled blood in the water heading into the game. They knew what they were up against. They were they knew they were up against some, a team without a quarterback, a team without any receivers, uh, a team without its two best defensive linemen, a team without its best cornerback, and a team without its without a head coach, and and a coaching staff that was mostly on its way out. And you know, if you're a Virginia Tech player. How much can you be, be really be mentally prepared for that game? Right, right. And so, so Maryland smelled blood in the water. Like, man, we get a chance to blow somebody out on national television. Yeah, we get a right? chance to make a statement. Right. And so, you know, David, you were talking about why you picked Tech to win. And I get that. We were all looking at stats and everything. And then the two teams run out there onto the field, and they looked bigger yeah. and faster and stronger. And that rekindles a discussion we don't have to have right now. Yeah. You know, but it's one thing to look at stats on a sheet of paper and then to see the two teams and see the motivation Going head-to-head yeah, and one team. Know, yeah. and, and I think what really impressed me, uh, Talia Tagovailoa, the Maryland quarterback, yeah. he was slinging it. And, uh, yes, it was against a depleted Tech secondary. But yeah, but I, I, he I'd slung seen, the ball around. Yeah, I knew he was capable of it. And, you know, sure enough, he went out and had a, had a good day. So. Um, so let's look at staff picks. So Malcolm, do you have the staff picks graphic ready to go for the YouTubers? So as you know, in um, every uh, 
every game preview we pick as a staff who we think is 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 going to win and 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 lose. And so here's how we wound up. And this and and before you fans mock us, just wait because we got another graphic coming up. Um, for the year, David led most of the year, but because he picked Tech and and Chris and I picked Maryland, here's how it wound up. I went seven and six on the year, just barely above five hundred. David went seven and six, and Chris went six and seven. Right? We're all so but you, just like the Hokies, hovering right around five hundred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, we 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 have we have agreed mutually agreed to part ways with the prediction. Uh, so as, as fans, before you start mocking us, while here. Malcolm, if you got the graphic for the uh, fan picks for the year, the fans wound up at seven and six picking games like us. Yeah, so so we embed polls in in every uh, game preview and ask fans to predict. You know, not just which team will win by by what kind of margin, but when I tally up the results, I tally them up strictly by one or loss. So at one point, the fans were let me look at this six and two. Yeah. And then they pooped the down bed the stretch. And, and I, I, you know, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I'm disappointed in myself for, you know, there were three times this year where I changed my mind on my original pick. Yeah. And the first two times I didn't go into my preview and actually make a change and actually change my prediction. Like, I wrote that UNC preview like on a Monday, I guess. And I picked UNC. We all picked UNC. And. And then, like, I decided, I changed my mind and decided that Tech was going to win. But I didn't go back and change my pick in my preview. Same thing for Notre Dame. Yeah. Like, I picked Tech, but, like, the next day I'm like, nah, I think Notre Dame's actually going to win this game. But I didn't go back and change my pick. No, I, I learned from that. And for the Maryland game, I went back and, and flipped it to, to Maryland. That's right. Yeah. So um, what you're telling me is you were one or two plays away. I was, for, I was one block away. Instead buddy. of finishing last, <laughs> a, finishing first. A play here, play there. But, no, I find it interesting. Uh, let's see. We all picked UNC, and we were wrong. We all picked uh, Tech against Middle Tennessee, and we were right. We all picked Tech against West Virginia, and we were wrong. We all picked Tech against Richmond, and we were right. right. We all picked Pitt, and I we think we right. all knew what was going to happen. <laughs> the crazy thing is we all picked Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that game wound up being really cool. And then the yeah, following week, we all we picked all Georgia, Georgia Tech. Tech. Or, or Tech. And, and we then we all Virginia picked, Tech then we all picked Virginia Tech over Boston College, and we were wrong. So and then me, we so all me, picked Virginia. Now, wait a minute. Let me jump in here because you mentioned the Boston College game, and that's where the fans went off the rails. They were 6-2 <laughs> and two up till then. <laughs> And the fans picked Tech to beat Boston College, and then Boston, Boston College just rolls out there and embarrasses Virginia Tech seventeen to three, and and the fans lost it. They well, they picked the win over Duke, but everybody picked the win over Duke, and then the fans missed. I didn't. Miami, Virginia, and Maryland. No, you did. Will did not. Will. Uh, no wait. Huh? No. Sorry, you and I both missed. Oh, we yeah, both picked right. Duke. Duke. That's right. Um, well, remember we didn't know, and this goes back to the Boston College game. We didn't know what quarterback was going to play. Yeah, we didn't. Now, know the, the, re- the reason we all picked available. Virginia Tech to beat Boston College is because it didn't seem the BC quarterback had been out since, since September. And then, Jer- and then Jer- we, we thought it was going to be we, we thought it was going to be Braxton Burmeister against their sorry backup. Instead, it was it was Jerkovich versus Virginia Tech's backups. It was Jerkovich versus Knox Cato, who was just nice. committed to. McNeese, McNeese, McNeese State. State. So yes. we had we had McNeese State's quarterback <laughs> on the field that night against against an NFL uh, NFL prospect. Yeah. <laughs> and then the following okay, week, that's a solid point. And then yeah. the following so week, Chris think? and I picked Duke because could, we were both sitting like, there going, "Burmeister's not going. Yeah, Burmeister's not going to play." And this team yeah. is 
this team has lost three of its four of its last five, mm-hmm. and you know I'm proud of myself because the games where I went away from you guys, I was two and one. Mm-hmm. I picked Notre Dame, I picked Miami, and I picked Tech against Maryland. But I got the the Notre Dame and Miami games right. Yeah. So what's the over under on the same quarterback starting every game for Tech next year? What would y'all uh, over would y'all under? Yeah. I don't know, man. New staff, you know. Uh, and and we'll drill into what you think Virginia Tech's offense is going to look like next year. We'll get into that because we're going to talk about some of the recent coaching hires. Um, so anyway, the fans finished seven and six. So. I think collectively we just need to just need to dedicate ourselves to picking better next year, and the fans do too. And I give the fans, the fans credit for picking too. Tech to beat Duke, but they only picked Tech to beat Duke by like one to ten points, and it wound up being a huge blowout. So um, enough of that. Let's move on to the, new, the next thing, and let's talk about coaching hires. Um, we've touched on some of the coaching hires in, in previous podcasts, but because it's been over two weeks, it's been about two and a half weeks, there's been a lot announced, so I've got five guys listed here. Three of them are coaches, two of them are support staff. So let's start with uh, what I consider to be – no, I'm sorry, two of them are coaches and three of them are support staff. The big one, of course, is Joe Rudolph uh, being hired as offensive line coach and running game coordinator. So, Chris, you're on. Talk about that. Uh, I don't really have anything new to add from what I've written and said in the past, but to me the hiring of Joe Rudolph – combined with the other offensive hires is a signal of the brand of offensive football that Virginia yeah. Tech wants to play. Yeah. They want to play a physical uh, style of football offensively. They, they want to be balanced with an emphasis towards the run. Like Tyler Bowen was, I think, 58 to 42 right. run-pass ratio when he's been a play caller in the past. And, and you know, hiring Joe Rudolph, the Wisconsin offensive line coach, and then hiring Stu Holt, who – when he was a running backs coach at Appalachian State, had five 1,000-yard rushers in four seasons. I, you know, I don't think I don't think a deep an- a- analysis needs to be done of what type of offense Virginia Tech wants to run here. Like, I think you can look at those three hires and say, and it's, it becomes pretty obvious. And then you have a, a guy like Bowen, which was officially announced. Yeah, I'm sorry, I left him out. He yeah, got officially, but officially announced last week. And he's going to be the offensive coordinator and tight ends coach. And his tight ends in the past have always been really, really good. The one tight end that stands out to me is Pat Fryermuth, who now plays for the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, had a heck of a year. Um, you know, and his offenses when he's been the offensive coordinator hadn't been much, but like we talked about a Fordham, you know, his offenses were, were very balanced. Um, and then today, of course, um, Mines was, was announced. Fontel Mines yeah, announced his wide receivers th- coach. This is going to be a very balanced offense with a lot of two tight end sets and and run heavy you know make make other teams stop the run i think it's kind of getting back to that old brand of of football that you know virginia tech used to play with just run 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 make them make them stop the run yeah my favorite thing i is reading up on rudolph and see watching videos more of his past schemes and 22 23 personnel i loves running those and i love when i typed in 23 personnel football on Google Images, the first five pictures are all Wisconsin of recent. <laughs> so um, at, at, at times I know and then I forget, when people talk about 11 personnel and 12 personnel and 22 mm-hmm. and 20, what do the numbers refer to? 23 uh, is two running backs, two and then three tight ends. 
22, two tight ends, two backs. So typically, instead of two running backs, you have a fullback. It's, a, it's power eye. So yeah. 11, 11 personnel is one tight end and one running back. Right. So that'd be like a three wide receiver for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and a 12 personnel is one running back and two tight ends. Two tight ends. I would expect a lot of 12 personnel. Yeah. So the tight end is the second number, correct? Right. Okay. Yes. So a 12 is one running back and two tight ends. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 22 is two running backs and two tight ends, and 23 is two running backs and three tight ends. Yes. And he, he and there are no wide receivers too. in that one. Virginia Tech probably should have run more 23 personnel in the ball game. <laughs> Considering they had two really, really good tight ends. Yeah. And no receivers. Yeah. So, uh, so in addition to, of course, Tyler Bowen became official. Uh, Joe Rudolph uh, was announced um, between our, since our last podcast. And just today, hot off the press, as Fontel Mines is announced as a wide receiver coach. Let me let me tell a little story about that name, and then we'll drill down into him a little bit as to what he brings to the table. Um, so when when we first started doing uh, pay content on Tech Sideline, when we first hired Chris Horn, who now works for the Saber, we hired Chris Horn to cover recruiting for us. I believe one of the first interviews he ever did with a high school recruit was. Fontel Mines was a wide receiver out of Hermitage. Yeah. I think yeah. around. Played around with Dwayne Brown. Played on the same high school team with Dwayne Brown, who's still in the NFL. <laughs> Go Hawks. He, he's <laughs> like, what is he, the Tom Brady of offensive tackles? <laughs> not, not he's quite. what, like 36 now? Probably, yeah. Man, what, what a great career, you know. So anyway, uh, it, it was just interesting to see Fontel Mines' name pop up. He was a big guy. I think he was 6'4", 220. Oh, yeah. He ended up playing tight end. Did he? Yeah. In in the NFL or did he? Yeah, I don't think he ever he, he actually played tight end in an NFL game, but he was on the roster. But he was on the the Chicago like Bears roster for yeah. three years. So he he went to he wound up going to uh, UVA and Al Grow, and I think I looked him up, and I think he caught something like sixty eight passes. There, he was yeah. he was yeah. a solid good player. player. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, has anybody got his information there? What has I, he been doing? Um. Well, I I can do it off the top of my head. Okay. Well, so <laughs> so ten years of coaching experience, and I think that's an emphasis when we talk at, about at FBS level at, at Division One level. Okay, Division One. Division One level, and, and it's funny because somebody replied to uh, when I when I posted the story on one of the boards. Somebody replied and, and said, "Where's his Power Five experience? You didn't have any." And and we can talk. We can get into this in, in a minute. But Chris was like, a lot of the really good coaches Tex had in the past didn't have Power 5 experience. That's not something you need. Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, <laughs> uh, Holman Wiggins, Aaron Moorhead, none of those coaches had a Power 5 experience when Virginia Tech hired. But so he just spent the last year at Old Dominion. He was a tight ends coach. Before that, he spent a couple seasons at East Carolina where he was tight ends, wide receivers, and their recruiting coordinator. Um, before. He, hey, it, can I jump in here and say, would he have been their wide receivers coach at East Carolina when – who was the tech receiver that transferred to East Carolina? Dang, now, but I can't no, remember. But uh, Tyler Sneed was their wide receiver, and he they're, was an all-conference really, really player. All right, sorry to interrupt if but, the name comes but back to me. But he uh, – the head coach at East Carolina now is uh, the former James Madison head coach um, mm-hmm. who he, – he was at JMU with him and followed him right. to ECU. And before that, he was on um, – Danny Rocco's staff at Delaware and Richmond. So he got a start at Delaware, um, coached there for five years. He's produced really, really talented wide receivers in the past. 
Um, and, and as Chris, I, I know, really likes, he's got a really good presence recruiting-wise in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He's briefly JMU's recruiting coordinator, wow. too. Uh, and, and JMU, obviously. And, and, oh, by the way, not only not is he just Virginia Tech's wide receivers coach, but he's the offensive, he's the offensive recruiting, recruiting coordinator. coordinator. Offensive recruiting coordinator, right. So it's, it's a big deal. Like, you have to replace Ryan Smith. When yeah. he leaves yep. his in-state, he did a really good job in his brief time here in the state of Virginia. Uh, Fontel Mines has, I mean, he's recruited the state of Virginia his entire career. Like, he probably knows everybody that you really, really need to know. In yeah, and, he, and he's a Richmond guy. Right, right. So Yeah, so um, one thing I did want to ask, kind of going back a little bit in the conversation, do you consider Joe Rudolph to be the highest profile hire? Of this staff, I'm not going to say I'm not saying he's going to turn out to be the best coach on this staff or even the longest tenured, but is that the one that most made you go, "Wow, look at that"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of hands down, the, right? the flashiest yeah. name, yeah, for sure. Be- especially the the tech pulling a Wisconsin offensive line coach. That was the yeah, thing, and and you had to have somebody like that on the staff. And we talked about this on the podcast back before anybody got hired. That when you throw out the numbers tech was throwing out about here's how much is available like tech fans weren't going to be happy you mean salary wise salary wise yeah five and a half million for 10 right right tech fans weren't going to be happy to hire a bunch of fcs coaches and then just give them big fat salaries just because the money's from there they're they're going to have to be a couple of splash guys uh, on the staff and you got that with with rudolph and and probably with bowen too who i think is a really good coach and obviously you go to uh, and take Stu holt away from louisville yeah that's that's a good hire. I think Derek Jones yeah. is is a solid hire in the yeah. back. He's, who, who was, by the way, the defensive recruiting coordinator. So yeah. Derek Jones, that that was my question. I couldn't remember who'd been named defensive yeah. recruiting so, coordinator. So Derek Jones, and in, and as I know, we'll get into his his era. He's kind of recruited everywhere, but yeah. a lot of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, everywhere from North Carolina to Florida, is is where he signed the majority of his players throughout his career. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he got some kids from Texas because he wound up at Texas Tech. At Texas right? Tech, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, talking talking about the salaries and and all that, um, you know, the he hired uh, one of the first hires was Chris Marv as linebackers coach and defensive coordinator, and, and we've talked that to death. Um, but that's a young guy and not a high dollar guy. Mm-hmm. So if you're observing and you're expecting big hires at offensive defense coordinator, that that's one that makes you go, huh? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that. And then at uh, offensive coordinator, you've got Tyler Bowen. Um, you know, I think that's a good hire. I think time will reveal that to be a good hire. But there, there were not huge splash hires made at either one of those positions. So it's very cool to get a guy of, of Joe Rudolph's uh, profile and, and reputation and history. So let's, let's go over it. Offensive coaches are Tyler Bowen as the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and tight ends coach. <clears throat> And this is the first time since Beamer that they've separated out offense coordinator and quarterbacks coach, right? Brad Cornelson was OC and QB coach the entire That's time. Yeah. yeah. So your quarterbacks coach is Brad Glenn, passing game coordinator, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Your offensive line coach, running game coordinator. That's Joe Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Stu Holt is running backs and special teams. And also assistant head coach. Okay. And just a excellent special teams history. Fontel Mines, wide receiver coach, offensive recruiting coordinator, and they added Brian Christ as senior offensive analyst. So yeah, and that's like he's overqualified for that position. Yes, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know I've had parking lot conversations here at the Corporate Research Center with one of Brian Christ's neighbors, and uh, Brian Christ 
wanted to work for Virginia Tech. Well, his dad is a longtime Blacksburg High School coach, right. or was. I think coached at Blacksburg for 41 years. Yeah. Uh, he was Bo Pelini's offensive coordinator at Youngstown State. I mean, this, this is a really, really good coach, overqualified for his position. But he, wanted to but he be, really wanted to work at Virginia Tech. Yeah, he Tech. wanted to be here at Virginia Tech. So defensive coaches are Chris Marv is your defense coordinator and linebackers coach. Mm-hmm. J.C. Price is your defensive line coach and your associate head coach. Right. Yes. And uh, who was it that was that was the assistant head coach? Stu Holt. Stu Holt. Okay. Sean Quinn at uh, outside linebackers and nickelback. Derek Jones as corners and defensive recruiting coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. Pearson Prelo as safeties coach. We talked about that on, that on the last podcast. And Xavier Adibi as a defensive analyst. So, right. David, what's Xavier's recent? Everybody knows him as a player. Yeah, he, I mean, and a he, guy that looks great in his uniform. Yeah, he, I mean, of course, he played in the NFL. He was, you know, in the NFL for her five or so years. But um, you know, he didn't. He didn't have as much experience as Brian Chris does. You know, Chris has been around Division One football for twenty three years, and he's gone around from UMass and. Um, Xavier Devey was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M Commerce, which is a D2 school, um, the past couple years. He was a defensive analyst at Arkansas for a season in 2018. That's his only Division One experience. But you're getting a guy who was a, a D, D2 coordinator, um, you know, and his defenses at, at Texas A&M Commerce were really, really good for their conference, which I believe is like the Lone Star Conference, and just in D2 in general. So, um and obviously, it's a it's a name everybody knows. He was a dang good player when he was here. Yeah, and and before you say, oh, he's from the seven five seven. Well, you know, this is not a position that that it's, is, that is a recruiting yeah. position. You know, but uh, and and his and Xavier was from a peninsula anyway. Yeah, he was and from really, Fe- he went to Phoebus. Yeah, and there's not really any players on the peninsula. Anymore. And he was from that's almost twenty years ago that he was in yeah. high school. Yeah, and a lot has changed out there since then. Um. So support staff that was also named was uh, Michael Hazel, chief of staff. He was director of football operations at Penn State, correct? Yes. Um, so I like that hire. I'm not sure what his chief of staff really does. I guess uh, he, it, it's like what the way I explained it when I wrote the story is it's what Stephanie Belen does with men's basketball, which is basically organize all plan Mike Young's schedule, organize all the events he's going to. Right. So. If so we Brent Pry doesn't come on the podcast, it's, it's Michael uh, it's Hazel's Michael fault. Hazel's fault. Yeah, and and but as, as chief of staff, won't he also kind of you know the he'll, staff? Is I think about he'll to get man. Larger. Yeah, I think he'll manage the support staff yeah. and just be the liaison between right. Pry and everybody a else. Kind of like not a secretary because a secretary isn't this involved, but he's basically going to be Pry's right hand man. Yeah. And then you got Mike Villagrana as director of player personnel. Where did Villagrana come from? Marshall. Marshall. He was Marshall. the general manager at Marshall. Yeah. He's yeah. he's been around. He was at Marshall, Mississippi State. Um, and he takes Mark Deathorn's. He's position. basically head of the recruiting staff. It's just a different title. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then Dwight Galt, the fourth director of football strength and conditioning. So those are those are pretty much all the major positions. Yeah. And I haven't heard haven't hired officially at least it hasn't been announced the strength and conditioning assistance but i've heard one guy's coming from odu i want to say one guy's coming from marshall and i've heard jared ferguson yeah jared, jared it was jared ferguson and then there was a, a guy from uh georgia georgia southern is one georgia of the guys southern, and then galt galt fourth is bringing one of his guys from old Dominion. Right. and who's which who on the coaching staff had been at georgia southern was that the 
Back, um, nobody had been at Georgia. Not, State. not in the last like five years, okay. but but pri- but Pry's been there in the past. In and, the past, and some of these guys he's encountered while yeah. he was there. Yeah. All right, I think we wore that one out. Um, I think we. I also think we could delicate, de- Dedic- delicate, dedicate an entire podcast to, to talking about the football coaching staff. But that kind of brings it up to speed. And uh, Pry is doing a Zoom press conference at uh, 11.30 Thursday. Is that right, David? No, I think it's tomorrow. Yeah, well, tomorrow. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tomorrow. All right. So, And you'll be back from Charlottesville I by will. then. Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully they'll come out with salary information at that point in time for all yeah, these Yeah, that guys. would be nice. One of the things I had been doing in each of the articles I had been in writing is I break a table that basically breaks down each assistant by position their division one experience as an assistant or head coach, whatever. Um, and I think it's huge to note that over 10 assistants, 156 total years of experience, which is a lot. The only two guys that don't have 10 plus years are Marv and Prelu. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've, I've written down everybody's previous <clears throat> salaries at their, their old place. So the person, which it come no surprise that was paid the most at their old stop was Joe Rudolph. 675k yeah and then there were two guys marv and jones that were 500k at their previous stops and everybody else is 390k or less at previous stop so that's a lot of you know there there are going to be a lot of i think pay bumps but yeah hopefully we'll get some of that information tomorrow so to to remind everybody at uh brent prize introductory press conference they handed out a sheet that said he has five and a half million for his assistant coaches and 2.25 million for support staff that's a total of 7.75 million but it was also said to us number one that that split can be adjusted as they see fit and number two that with the engagement they've got particularly with the larger uh, donors if he needs more money to for the staff it'll be there so i'm not saying i expect the staff salaries to be exactly five and a half million and i don't really think they're going to talk about support staff salaries but uh, it'll be interesting if the numbers come out by tomorrow just to to see what they are so uh when we come back we're we're well first of all we're going to jump to nick here in a second but we're going to do some recruiting talk next because chris has been doing some detailed work and, and finding out about virginia tech's new staff where have they recruited in the past how well have they recruited where have they signed players from because of course we want the staff to have a to have a mid Atlantic um, recruiting presence. Yeah, I was just gonna say I was just doing some math on my phone. Uh, the one thing I hadn't done was add up all the salaries. So everybody's previous salary. This is not t- Tyler Bowen because he was with the Jaguars, but off the 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 four other four offensive guys, their previous salaries add up to one point four million. The five offensive five defensive guys, their salaries add up to one point four million. So together it add it's about two point two. Two point eight eight million. So, so not a lot. So, yeah. it that's my, to my point. You know, you've got about obviously you said it's flexible money, but you've got about five and a half million. So that's about a lot of money that people. You know, you can pay a lot of these guys, which is probably enticing for a lot of these guys to to come. You know, for a guy like Mines who is getting paid one hundred and five thousand at Old Dominion, you say you can come get paid X amount of more money, be the guy at Virginia Tech. Yeah. And, and I think, and, and time will tell, I, I get a feeling that Brent Pry is one of those guys that, that people want to work for. I don't want to say regardless of the money, because money always matters, but 
But when you when you go to work for him, I think this reputation will build over time, just like it did with Frank. Then when you go to work for Brent Pry, he's a good boss to have, and that's worth a certain amount of money. You know, you can't put a number on it, but you know, you know it when you see it. Um, so we're going to toss it over to the fourth chair, Nick. Uh, has anybody got anything interesting to say? Do we have stat time with Scott Glessner? <laughs> always. We always got it. But first, I wanted to touch on, uh, since you guys are talking about sports staff and staff in general, uh, someone threw up a graphic on Twitter that I saw floating around. Georgia's support staff, mm. 60 people yeah. on their support staff. And they had five athletic trainers. Five of them. One head honcho, and then the rest were... I guess as many. I remember still five. I remember going to uh, basketball media days at Virginia Tech under Buzz, and there were more suits than there were players. That's right. Yeah. And, and the staff photos. Yeah, you could see on the. And bench. guess what? We made multiple NCAA tournaments under Buzz. It's like everybody had their own personal coach. Mm-hmm. We made multiple NCAA tournaments under Buzz and made the Sweet Sixteen. We probably had the best team we've ever had. And, and by the way, that national more championship suits, more game. players. Oof, man! Right. Just those two teams. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, that goes to the point where, you know, I know Saban came out and ironically was like, oh, NIL is going to make everything, you know, dysfunctional. If you really want to balance it out, I think you got to hit support staff and limit support staff. But my response to that has always been, let's say, let's say, let's talk about Alabama. Let's say Alabama mm-hmm. has a support staff of 50. Yeah. And the NCAA says you can only have five. Well, then 45 of those guys will quit go form their own company and outsource their services to Alabama and continue working for Alabama in air quotes, working for Alabama, but yeah, instead of them, their own company. Yeah. You just, you just write one check to that staff of 45 people, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I they just, become contractors. You, yeah. you cannot, yeah. the, if there's a crack, water will go through the crack. No, and, then, and that's how through. college athletics works. You already see NIL being, uh, Texana, it's a, mind to the, the, the it's always, advantage. It's always going to be someone trying to look for the next best way to win. Yeah. I mean, Nick Saban was that guy. Uh-huh. Nick Saban invented big coaching staff or big mm-hmm. support staff, right? And it made it put Alabama at an advantage over everybody else. And he's smart. Mm-hmm. So anybody taking advantage of NIL, if they're doing it effectively, it means they're smart. I, yeah. I said in a recent article that I think Roy Kramer, SEC commissioner in the early '90s and beyond and Nick Saban are two guys, two of the most influential people in college football in the last 30 or 40 years because Kramer created the Super Conference and the championship game, which kind of led to all the other stuff. And Saban's the one who created created a huge uh, support staff. I mean, uh, Alabama boosters are, should be capable of putting up a fight against Texas yeah. A&M boosters, Same. I would think, although there's a lot of oil money in Texas. Yeah, but, Oof, but, so. it, but it's funny because – Kirby Smart was on Saban's staff for for so long, mm-hmm. and then when Georgia came calling, he went and turned it into Alabama 2.0, sure, yeah. large support staff, and then he goes and you know he finally beat Saban championship. Right? Yeah. So I'm I'm sure you saw me tweet this out on Twitter uh, after Kirby Smart and Nick Saban were talking about that because they were asked about it. I put out the number one recruiting classes since 2011. Yeah. And it was Alabama. Um, all but two times, and the other two times were Georgia, Georgia. and right now it's Texas, Texas A&M. A&M. And so another thing about Texas A&M, um, if, if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that uh, a model for a lot of what we do here at Tech Sideline is Tex Ags. TexAgs.com is an independent site 
that covers Texas A&M. As athletics. far as the podcast goes, it's... And some other business model right. stuff. And um, one thing they did when NIL became a thing was Texags created a rider on their subscriptions where you could, in addition to your regular Texags subscription, you could get a rider called Stacked. And you could decide how much money you wanted to donate to Stacked. And every bit of Stacked funds went into an NIL fund for Texags. And in the span of a few months, through this method, they raised $300,000 from their subscribers. And that $300,000 is used for NIL opportunities for athletes. Do you remember one of the first NIL headlines was Texags paid an athlete $10,000 mm-hmm. to come be on their show? Yeah. That's what they're doing with that money. So I'm not saying we're going to do that here at Tech Sideline. <laughs> but, um, but it relates back to Texas A&M having a normal recruiting class. Yeah. They're, they're not messing around, and this, this could shift the balance of power. Or it could just turn into Georgia, Alabama, and Texas A&M. I don't know. We'll see. Well, and I want to touch on more things with the NIL. It opens up the door for other schools. That's what I kind of like about it. I mean, Jackson State, you know, all-black school. With, just got with Deion Sanders as coach. Yeah, you got Travis Hunter, number one overall recruit. Now, he did get paid a million dollars. Right. That's the rumors that he got paid a million. But they stole him from all the big boys. Right. And he's going to all but. And they just got a top 15 a wide receiver in the country also to commit to them. So I, I agree with all that. And, and pay attention to, and the one that immediately comes to mind for me is Central Florida. Yeah. Um, you know, decent school. They, they've had some good seasons, but they're in a location where there could be some serious NIL money leverage. And you could see, I'll bet you 10 years from now, we're, we're looking back on the change and, and the advent of NIL and how it changed the balance of power in college yeah. football. Yeah, because everybody says, oh, it's just going to make the rich richer. I'm like, nah, not really. The rich is already richer than everybody yeah, else. Yeah, that, so imbalance, like, already, that <laughs> imbalance already. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, well, yes, that time with Scott Glessner. Got to get his little shutout. It is about the pinstripe bowl, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech was scoreless in the first quarter. No surprise there. Previous three times in bowl games that that happened, they won. Uh, Tax, ni- Texas, 1995 Sugar Bowl. Rutgers. Um, these are the last three times. <sighs> so 2009 onward. Uh, oh, so okay. Rutgers. Yeah, Rutgers. <laughs> the, the, the game that we've all forgotten about. <laughs> I was there. Were you? Yeah. I'm sorry. Did they score <laughs> in the first half against Arkansas in 2016? No, they did nope. not. So there's right, the other one. And then one more. 2009. Oh. Uh, Chick-fil-A Bowl? Chick-fil-A Bowl. Tennessee? Yeah. No. Oh, was that, that was. Oh, 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 that was 2009 season. Yeah. Okay. Was it the Orange Bowl in Cincinnati? Yep. That was it. Ah, so calendar three. year 2009. Yeah, so there's okay. three. Um, and then uh, just a few other. Virginia Tech has outscored. Three of the last four seasons. Last time it happened, 1970 to 1973. Was that the year Alabama beat us by like 70? Well, that <laughs> ran into the next one. Maryland became the fifth team to ever score 50-plus points against Virginia Tech. Other four, Syracuse, Houston, Alabama, and Tulsa. Duke. Uh, it took Syracuse like three uh, three overtimes to do it. Duke? Yeah, Duke. Duke dropped a 50-burger. Oh, was that the – When do they do Multiple games. Multiple this is on multiple games. Oh, uh, multiple games, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, so Duke dropped 50 multiple times on, on the Hokies. Uh, Maryland is also the sixth team to beat Virginia Tech by 40-plus in multiple games. Uh, the other ones were Army, Vanderbilt, William & Mary, Duke, and UVA. 
I bet Army happened during uh, during the forties. Yeah, probably yeah. like the thirties yeah. and the twenties. Yeah, yeah. When they, they were they, the powerhouse. <laughs> I don't think it was at the same time, but if you if you if you research Virginia Tech football history, and this was after World War II, Virginia Tech severely de-emphasized football in the late forties, early fifties, and that's I think it's part of the reason they didn't get into the original ACC was it was nineteen fifty three and Tech had lost. 20 or 30 games in a row or something ridiculous mm. like that. I'd have to go look it up to get it exact. You think those in, on par with the World Wars, with World War II? Well, Army was really good in football while WW2 was going on. It's also true. <laughs> uh, and then the weirdest stat that Scott Lesnar just said, since 1995, the last shutout for Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech is 23-3 and in the second game of the season. 07 LSU, 2016 Tennessee, and then 2010 JMU. Who do we play in the second game of the season this year? I don't think it's come out yet. Uh, the schedule hasn't been released yet. Uh, maybe 2010 West Virginia. JMU. Yeah, West Virginia looked listed first. I think there's actually an open spot in the second which, week. Which means, it's, it's, which means an ACC, ACC opponent. So, yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. be West Virginia. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's North Carolina. <laughs> all right. So is that everything you got for us now, Nick? That's all for Scott Glessner. And then I just wanted to give my little Radford shout out. Michael Christ, head coach for Radford football, brother of Brian Christ. Brother so of Brian Christ. Right. Just get that one out there. All right. So we're going to take a break for a uh, couple of minutes. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, we are offering a $500 a month podcast only sponsorship of Tech Sideline. So in addition to the usual. Uh, Skycam uh, break camera. We're going to have a graphic that Malcolm's going to put up that's going to show uh, some information about that uh, podcast sponsorship. So if you got a business and and you like uh, thousands of people knowing about your business, you should uh, check that out. And uh, we'll be back in a few. All right, welcome back into episode 218 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, assuming you are here. If you left, shame on you. Um, so let's see. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say after the break. I mean, I know what we're going to talk about next, but I had something to say. Anyway, <laughs> please please hit the subscribe button. Looks like we added about 10 subscribers for my first plea. Um, so what we are going to talk about next is we've got uh, Chris Coleman working on a really cool project, which is to take a look at the past recruiting areas and successes of the staff that Brent Pry has put together. Um, this is going to be an article tomorrow on Tech Sideline, correct? should be tomorrow, yeah. unless I run into something where I feel like I need an extra day, but it should be tomorrow. Yeah, yes. so, so you've done all the heavy-duty research. So uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, I think that uh, you know clearly experience in the recruiting areas that, that Virginia Tech traditionally minds is important. Um, so what have you found out? Uh, well, we even got Malcolm to do a cool map for us. So it's going to be a map. It's going to be a table. Um, basically, all of Brent Pry's coaches plus Brent Pry himself, what states they've signed recruits from yeah. in the past. So, you know, Pennsylvania is number one on the list, which isn't a surprise because Pry was a longtime coach at Penn State. And obviously, Joe Rudolph, coach in Wisconsin, he would dip down into Pennsylvania some. Uh, Ohio is number two. Joe Rudolph actually signed like 27 players out of Ohio when he was with, when he was at Wisconsin, right? Nice. Uh, Virginia and Florida are tied with number uh, after that with 23. Uh, and, and then you see up and down the East Coast like Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia with a high number. 
And so Florida. He, yeah. And, well, yeah, they were tied, they're tied with Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Okay. So he's put together a staff that has signed a lot of guys from this region throughout their careers. And, yeah. you know, some of this isn't going to be relevant. Like Joe Rudolph has signed 19 guys from Wisconsin. That's on our map and on our list. But obviously, Virginia Tech's not going to be trying to go up and recruit guys it, from the state of It's possible that Joe could spot recruit guys. Spot but you're right. a guy. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I think it's interesting that Ohio ranks second on this list. And I think Ohio is a state that has been ignored by Virginia Tech for too long. Uh, it's a shorter drive from Blacksburg to Columbus, Ohio, than it is Virginia Beach. Yeah. Let that sink in. Okay. Yeah, time-wise or distance-wise or both? Time-wise. I don't know about distance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've driven to Columbus. It's an easy drive. Yeah, we drove up there in um, 2007 when right. Tech was in the NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, and, you know. About, what, four hours? If that. It was more than that. Four um, and a half, four hours, 45 yeah, minutes. That's about, what it, that's about what it takes to get to Virginia, Virginia Beach. I, well, I did, I did a Google search, uh, and it said Virginia four Virginia. hours, 50 minutes to Columbus. It said five hours, that's 10 speed. minutes to Virginia Beach. Yeah. That's assuming no traffic and you're say, driving the speed limit. I, right? Well, I was about <laughs> yeah. to say, because it'll take about 4.15-ish to get to like Newport News, right. but it'll take another hour but, to get right. to Virginia Beach because uh, of the, but, you know, the road bridge. So, like, this is a place within, within the five-hour radius or the six-hour radius yeah. or whatever you want to call it that Virginia Tech has not recruited very much through the years. And I know Ohio State is in Ohio, right? But Ohio State these days recruits nationally, which means, you know, 20 years ago they would have been signing – X number of players from Ohio, but now they're recruiting more on a national scale. Like they're going to go down to Texas and California and Florida and sign more guys. That means there are fewer guys from Ohio getting signed by Ohio State. It's like Clemson. Clemson hardly ever signs any South Carolina players anymore yeah. because they recruit nationally, which means you can go in. There's still good players in the state of South Carolina and in the state of Ohio that aren't getting taken by, by the state schools because those schools recruit nationally. Yeah, I guess they're, they, you'd, you'd have to fight Cincinnati for guys. But. Yeah, well, you have to fight the whole Big Ten. Yeah. You I, have to fight Penn State. Yeah. You have to fight Wisconsin, um, you know, all of that. Pitt. Um, and, and just the way I see it, like, Ben Taylor was from Bel Air, Ohio. Bel Air is a city. Right on the border. Right on the border. It, it, it borders western Pennsylvania, right across the Ohio River. Um, you're, I think Virginia Tech is more likely to find the next Ben Taylor in the state of Ohio than they are to find the next Xavier DB from Hampton. And there it is. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that doesn't vibe with Virginia Tech history, and it's probably not what people want to hear. Um, so but, you, but I, I, so I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how much Virginia Tech recruits Ohio. I, I think there are similarities between Blacksburg, Virginia, I mean, I've driven through Ohio, man. Most of Ohio is a is a blue collar, rust belt. It's not a lot of difference between Appalachian, Virginia, Western Pennsylvania, large large parts of like Ohio and Indiana and things nah, like that. They're yeah. all very, very, very similar. Um, seven five seven is a different world. Yeah. You know? it is. Um. So, like, I'll be interested to see with Joe Rudolph's experience in the state of Ohio, and not just with offensive linemen. I think Joe Rudolph apparently was. And obviously, he recruited Ohio a lot when he was at Pittsburgh. Um, but, but he didn't sign just offensive linemen out of Ohio. There were quarterbacks and wide receivers and defensive linemen and things like that. So I think he is an Ohio specialist. So it'll be interesting to see if Virginia Tech does recruit Ohio more now that now that he's on the staff. Yeah, and and you mentioned Ben Taylor, and and I don't think it really sunk in on me that 
you know, that's just certain parts of Ohio. That's just not that long of a drive. Right. Yeah, it's not. Um, you know, so so don't roll your eyes and give it the whole Texas to VT thing. If you're listening to this, Texas is a long way away. Yeah, but Ohio's close. Well, it's, it's an easy drive, man. And you talk about a different world. Yeah, Texas it's like High driving to Pittsburgh. The only yeah. the only pain is that you got to pay tolls in West Virginia. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, I think people assume like it's a long way away because an entire state of West Virginia is in between. Yeah, but it's it's not. And driving through West Virginia is it's not least, bad it's pretty. At all. At yeah, least. it is. It is. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think. Uh, culturally large parts of ohio fit with virginia tech now you know there's plenty of competition there you got the whole big 10 you know you've got Pitt, you've got cincinnati you've got kentucky but i feel like there's probably i think it might go back to just partially the 757 not being what it used to be too Mm -hmm. because you know i think you'll still find a good amount of guys in in norfolk or virginia beach but even i mean you mentioned in the break we were talking about um, you know Newport News and Hampton, like that's not not what he used. To. You're not getting a Tyrod Taylor out of there. No. You're not getting a Brian Randall from from Bruton High School. A few years ago, Bruton Bruton couldn't even play football because they didn't exactly. have no players. I mean, and that's where Brian Brian Randall went to high school. Man, there's there's nobody. Com- I'm from the Bay Rivers district. There's nobody coming out of the Bay Rivers right. district except, except maybe Lafayette. Right, and you know the the occasional like gem. Besides that, you know it's Norfolk. And maybe a little bit of guys in Newport News and Hampton, but but it, it's gone down so much that I think Chris is on to something. The combination of the 757 coming down and there being opportunity when you have guys that have recruited the Ohio region, there's probably going to be a lot more opportunities in Ohio, especially because, like you said, culturally, it, it's, a, it's a good fit. Not that the 757 is not a good fit, you know, but, I mean, like you said, Rust Belt is kind of... Like blue collar, that's Virginia Tech. Yeah. What, what, what when I when I when I drive through, when I drive to Pittsburgh or Columbus or things like that, I look around and I'm like, this feels more like Southwest Virginia than yeah. it does when I'm in Eastern Virginia, yeah. right? Um, Which you go to, you you uh, you travel. To, oh yeah, yeah. I, I go to the peninsula and stuff like that, like yeah. that a lot. And even yeah. though even the peninsula is like a lot different than like across the water. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's uh, very yeah. as somebody who grew up there, it's yeah. completely completely like, different. You know. It's completely different. That's the the seven by seven, the peninsula versus once you get, you know, once you get on eighty one and you're coming down that stretch of eighty one, everything else is completely different. Yeah, um, and you know, I've uh, we'll do another article next week. It'll be like a more narrow focus. We'll take instead of a right. That's what I, you're instead going of instead of, of a United right. States map, we'll do a Virginia map and map out the counties that members of this staff have signed players from in the past and i've already run the numbers okay and uh, it's like 23 players from virginia and uh and i'm and i'm only talking like fbs players i'm not talking fcs because like 247 database only keeps up with coach signings at the fbs level like right. like they yeah. don't give credit for fontel mines at richmond or jmu or whatever when he was signing in-state players there but generally speaking uh I broke it down into four areas. Northern Virginia, the Richmond area, the 757, and other. And I believe it was uh, Richmond area was 11 of the 23. Northern Virginia was four. Other was like six. And 757 was two. Two. Like Brent Pry is not putting together a staff like to, re- to recruit the 757. Yeah. And he, he's going to pay it lip service, as he should, as he has to, because he's a Virginia Tech football coach. 
But all those guys when he was at Penn State that he signed to play defense at Penn State, every single one of them either came from the Richmond area or Nova. Yeah, not one of them came from. So right. many of them came from from the Fredericksburg right, right, area. Right, he did not recruit the seven five seven. Yeah, um, it's just not. He's not going to get them. Like, it's just not Penn State culture, and Penn State culture is similar to Virginia Tech culture. You know what? One of the interesting parts that that you and I have have talked about this in the office when you look at the top players in the state of Virginia, like top 10 players in the state of Virginia over the last five, six years. So many of those guys have come out of the seven by seven and so many of them have, I don't want to say they've been busts, but they just haven't done anything. Right. Right. We, we've researched this stuff and documented it in articles that the, the trend the last 10 years or so has not been. It's trending down. Yeah. You know, you know, we as far as production it. at the college level. Yeah. Now their rankings are staying the same. Yeah. Yes. And but, don't two four seven, which is what people look at. But when you look in hindsight at their college careers and what they produce at the college level and whether or not they make it to the NFL, the quality of player in the seven five seven is going down. You, you go back to Virginia's two thousand three recruiting class: um, uh, Xavier Adibi, Vince Hall. Uh, Chris Ellis, they were all in the same class, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all from the 757. Uh, and yeah. they were all highly ranked, and they all turned out to be great. And DJ players. Parker was, was yeah. in that class, you yeah. know. Uh, Carlton Powell was in that class. Man. And, I mean, you can't five, find five players that good from that area, or at least that productive at the college level, spread out over three straight classes from the 757. Yeah. Yeah, they, they used to be good at the top and deep. Right. You know, and, and that just hasn't been the trend lately. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't want to badmouth the area because there, there are still good football players from there. And if you're Virginia Tech, you want to pick your spots and you want to have a shot at getting the guys yeah. you want, but you're not necessarily going to sign guys like, wholesale from the area if you're alabama and you're georgia and you're ohio state and clemson or whoever um it doesn't matter so much when you hire your assistants where they're from um because the name of your school and the tradition at your school is going to put your foot in the door of any prospect no matter where you're trying to recruit nationally right right um for everybody else, it's different. For everybody else, you have you have your head coaching spot and you have ten assistant spots, and you have to prioritize, and you have to play the percentages of what areas can you have the most success in that can bring in the most players that are most likely to have success at your school. And I don't. I'm not saying the seven five seven isn't a priority, but like it's like. To me, like Derek Derek Jones can rec- recruits North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. I'd rather have Derek Jones than a seven five seven specialist. Right. There's way more players in those other four states yeah. than there are the the, the seven five seven. You know, it's just uh, so it seems to me like Tech is more likely to get Northern Virginia and Richmond kids. Yeah. So they've hired a lot of they've hired in state guys that are good at recruiting those two areas and Brent in Pry state, himself and Brent Pry himself. And then, you know, they've focused on mid-Atlantic recruiters. Yeah. Uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania, you know, in the southeast, down down to Florida. It ju- yeah. I mean, it just seems like the right move. And I'd really like it if, if they, you know, put some more emphasis on, on Ohio, like I said. But, yeah. uh, but again, you know, this isn't something that a Virginia Tech coach can come out and say. Right. Because he's going to get blasted <laughs> if he yeah. says it. Yeah. I don't care because if kids I get from that. Kids from that area. I mean, and there have been some good kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Robinson is a great player, example. Right, right. Cox High School. But, but you know, it's one of those things that's like, I you can't not recruit it. I'm not saying we shouldn't recruit it. But but uh, your emphasis needs to be on the Yeah, places. yeah. I mean, you, you, t- yeah, you talk. 
Oh, you you recruit guys on an individual basis. Oh yeah, you, you know, uh, and it's just uh, I don't know. There there's just a lot of stuff that goes on out. There's a lot of mentors out there that create companies that that charge a lot of money to for recruits to send their video to college coaches when in reality all they have to do is, is upload them to huddle. huddle. And these are the people that are in charge of these kids recruiting and giving them advice. And, <laughs> and that stuff happens in the 757. And they're going to North Carolina and not getting developed and losing more football games than they should. Let them go. Yeah. yeah. Let them right. go. So that uh, that analysis will appear on Tech Sideline. And a reminder that if, if you're not a current subscriber – you can get your first month free on a monthly subscription, so that that's going to be interesting reading. One good point someone brought up here in the comments is Georgia and Alabama had zero players from Virginia. And Zero. Uh, so who has Alabama had in the past? They had Jonathan Allen. Where De- was he from? Northern Virginia. Northern they had Virginia. Deshaun Hand from, from Northern Virginia. And do you remember Deshaun Hand said his favorite coach was Bud Foster? Yeah. Still did, didn't even have Tech in his top three. Yeah. It's just yeah. these days it's – I mean, when when you recruit against the elite, it's not about coaches anymore. It's yeah. about going to that elite school, no matter who's coaching. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like, I I met Deshaun Hand. Like, he was at a tech camp one year, and he was one of the he's the most he's one of the nicest, most personable, outgoing recruits I've ever met. Like, I didn't introduce myself to him; he introduced himself to me. Uh, it's it was crazy seeing him in Alabama. Like when I saw him on te- television, like two years later, like his neck had doubled in that size. That dude blew up. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and I don't, so I don't blame kids for going to Alabama. Like mm-hmm. I, when I I've met Deshaun Hand, I've shaken his hand, and then two years later I see him on TV and yeah. look at the difference. <laughs> He's three years bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's right. All right, so let's shift to some player personnel talk. And what I mean by that is we've got some transfers in at the quarterback and wide receiver position. But I also want to give a shout out to uh, offensive line Johnny Jordan announced that he is returning. Yes. That was that was not expected, right? No, and this is a guy who played multiple years at Maryland, went through senior day at Tech, so I didn't yeah, expect. Yeah, it. I don't think anybody really expected Johnny Jordan to come back, and now he gives Tech. I'm not saying these are going to be the starters, but he gives Tech four guys that have started yeah. games in their careers. You got him, you got Silas Janzi, who announced he's coming back, like, and then Parker Clements and Caden Moore. A week ago, you're sitting here saying, "Oh my God, our only returning offensive lineman are a couple of sophomores," yeah. and that's nobody else has taken a snap. And now you've got four guys with a ton of experience now. And I, think, it just I, think, seems, I think it's 98 career appearances. Yeah, it's just so much, and now and you have options now too, like. Uh, you know, Janzi can play really any position except center. Yeah. Um, you have the option, if you wanted to, you could move Parker Clements to left tackle and start Janzi at right tackle if you wanted. Because Janzi can play right tackle. I don't think he's a great fit for left tackle. Right. Um, you got Jordan at center. If you, you, you got Jordan at center. And I was going to say, big. if you get a center, you can move Jordan to guard. If you if really you need to. to. You could, but he's a better fit himself at center, yeah, in my but, opinion. But there's a um, lot of flexibility. There, there, yeah, you give yourself some flexibility there. And then, of course, you got Caden Moore at guard. Caden Moore's a definite guard yeah. all the way. Yeah. Um, uh, Clements is a definite tackle, whether it's right or left. Yeah, okay. Um, and then you See, get Janzi can play any of them except for center. So, yeah, it certainly helps. And then they've got the, the transfer the transfer from Cornell who's going to visit uh, in late January. And I forget his name. 
But he's got all his final five is like Virginia Tech, Auburn, Penn State. Yeah, that's uh, so impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you're talking you about a good Joe, player. You got Joe Rudolph a good time. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Well, so. you got to figure that paid, paid, paid a, played a huge role in Jordan's decision to stay oh, and yeah. play another year. Yeah. Now, Jordan, I, I think people have probably forgotten this. He was Big Ten honorable mention yeah. at yeah. Maryland. So he was a good player. He's he, just he, sitting he, behind Brock Hoffman at, right. at, at center and filling in a guard. Right, right. And the thing is, like, I, I don't. Uh, it's 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 different when like like Hoffman's been in the program and things like that and and Brockman's a Brock is a really tough kid and a team leader but like I don't know that he was actually as good as Johnny Jordan this past year. Uh, we've we've been looking at the PFF grades and I don't think Brock Hoffman had a great year. Right. I, you know I believe I mean? in the story in it was maybe last Friday's Q and A when you you went over the PF, PFF grades for all the guys. Brock Hoffman was the bottom of the list right. for offensive for, linemen. For, yeah, the yeah. offensive linemen that played. But he, but he did, did he, didn't he win one of those humanitarian awards? Yeah. Is that, is that really he, again, he's a good leader. No, no, right. And he, Brock is what you can't put into words is like what he brings culturally. Yeah. Like we talk about Virginia Tech's lack of toughness and lack of player development yeah. and things like that and lack of leadership. And I think you can say that about most positions on the Virginia Tech roster, but you cannot say that about the offensive line. Where players have developed under Vance Vice, they show yeah. toughness. Uh, and they generally win their one-on-one battles. Ex- exactly, and uh, you know, and I, and I, this delves off a little bit, but you know, you know how every spring and, and every August during the preseason, like Vance Vice is always was always like, well, I don't have a depth chart, and then the players would be like, well, we come out one day and I'm playing right, I'm the first string right guard, and then the next day I'm third string left tackle, and he mixes and matches it. <laughs> You know, part of that is yes, you're you're trying to get guys used to playing each other. You're trying to create some some competition, and 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 you're trying to get guys used to playing multiple positions because you never know who's going to get hurt and you might need it. Blah blah blah. I think some of that is it's just holding guys to a higher standard. It's like, oh, you didn't have a good practice today. Well, you're not number one at right guard anymore. You're number three at left tackle. And you got to work toes. your way back. You know, yeah. now now in the in the Beamerball.com days, Vice would have been talking every day and putting that stuff out right. publicly. Right, right, know? exactly. And it just it, that, that's not that's not how it's done these yeah. days. Yeah. Um, but I think that was part of it, and I think that's why Virginia Tech's offensive line, generally speaking, stayed a step ahead of all the other position groups in terms of toughness and player development. Yeah. And I just think, and there was man, a lot of depth there. Too. Yeah, right. Well, maybe that's because maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I like I like the way the offensive line is trending. Um, so let's talk about the rest of the offense. And, of course, the big news was the Quarterback. simultaneous transfers in. Of, sure, that uh, was important. Yeah. 6, 6 p.m. Yeah, on the say, same day. 6 p.m. same yeah. day. The tweets went out at exactly the same time. Grant Wells out of Marshall, who has three years of eligibility, correct? Yes. And, and Jason Brown out of uh, St. Francis and South Carolina, who has one, one year of eligibility left. And the uh, the response from the South Carolina fans to Jason Brown's decision to transfer was was very positive. I get the impression he was really well liked down there. Well, he beat Florida and and Auburn. And, and Auburn and Auburn. Yeah, you know, so that, that's going to make you well. Be he didn't like if you look at the box score. He didn't have to do a heck of a whole lot those games. Yeah, they but, dominated but, on the ground. But he was. Great I think. Defense. I think in both of those wins, I mean, he was. He was good. He, he did what he, he had. He was to do. effective. Yeah. 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 So so Malcolm traveled down to South Carolina to visit. Our other son, Ronan, the uh, he was down there getting a scouting report. Game. That's yeah, what he was so, doing. Yeah, yeah so he uh, <laughs> he uh, he was down there for that game, and they had a good time because Florida, uh, South Carolina won forty yeah. to seventeen. So I think, um, you know, we'll see how stuff shakes out. But I think Brown is a he's wanted to 
be here ever since. He oh, was he's in high he's, he's from Fredericksburg. He's always wanted a Virginia Tech offer. Yeah, for I sure. didn't know that. So. Yep. Um, and he, he went to St. Francis, PA, and this is neither here nor there for Virginia Tech fans. But in, I blundered into South Carolina has a, a tight end from Jason Brown's high school who went to St. Francis with Jason Brown and then transferred to South Carolina. St. Francis of PA hates South Carolina. <laughs> I guarantee you, right? Because they're taking all their best it's, it's just like Delaware State fans hate Virginia Tech for taking Dorian Strong and Christian Darisol. That was their only other offer. And Wofford fans hate, hate Kansas Mike fans Jones. hate Virginia Tech for Khalil Herbert and Ryan Willis. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, subject of uh, Grant Wells, uh, tell us what you think there. I love Grant Wells. Yeah, um, I think he's the ideal transfer quarterback for Virginia Tech. Um, a guy who's already got multiple years of starting experience. He's already been a conference player of the year, and he's Did still he for thirty five hundred yards last year. Was that right? Yeah, yes. probably. Yeah, yes. uh, yards. But he's still got three years of eligibility left. Right. Yeah. He's got a live arm. Um, I think he can push the ball downfield very well. Uh, puts zip on the ball. He gets there very quickly. For what I believe Virginia Tech is looking for at the quarterback position is a guy who can stretch the field and take the top off defenses because Virginia Tech wants to run the football and they want to make sure they have a quarterback and good enough wide receivers to where those safeties cannot get heavily involved. They can't get within those within that seven yards of the line of scrimmage. They, you want them back and they have to stay back. You know, a good quarterback who can take the top off a of defense and a good running game, I mean, they, they need each other. You know, they, they need that balance. Uh, my ideal offense at Virginia Tech is the 1996 offense. Because that's exactly what that offense was. Yeah. Good old live formation offense. They know. even ran a lot of shotgun that year, man. Did they? Virginia Tech ran more shotgun in 1996 right. than probably anybody but Florida. But, but one of the things I will say, and you forgot to mention the best part, which I'm sure you love, is that he redshirted. Um, <laughs> but, but this is... Like in the you know not that Virginia Tech's wide receivers were were never bad like Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson were solid options who put up good numbers, but when you can stretch the field when the safeties can't play down when the safeties you know when when you basically can can spread the field and run the ball still it's actually amazing Tech was able to run the ball as well as they did in the second half of the season yeah, yeah. like I don't know how they managed to run the ball against Boston College at all. With Knox Kadem at quarterback, because they sure, but they knew BC knew Tech couldn't throw it, but they Tech still rushed for like 180 yards and had a good yards per carry that night. Yeah. It's just, but I, imagine what imagine what Tech can do. You still got Malachi Thomas in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Imagine what and your guy Bryce Duke, who I know you have a man crush on. Yep, that's my guy. There, like, there, there's a lot of talent back there. And you got a, a running backs coach in Stu Holt that has produced, as we talked about, yeah, when he was at App State, five one thousand yard rushers. Imagine what this Virginia Tech offense can look like when teams aren't just kind of stacking the box, and you know, it's not like Maryland where everybody Maryland's just playing nine guys in the box and saying try and run the ball. Yeah, you're yeah. playing a high school offense, and I don't. Uh, there was not not much Cornelson could do in the bowl game. Oh yeah, uh, he's the best offensive coordinator in the history of the sport, obviously. But you're extremely <laughs> limited by your personnel. Yeah, right. Like the uh, the the same offensive coordinator 
for the Virginia Tech Gator Bowl with Nick Sorensen when we scored three points was the same offensive coordinator for Virginia Tech in the national championship game. Yeah, that is correct. When he when his offense dominated Florida State with Michael Vick. Jimmy's right. That was the same offensive coordinator. I trust this tech offensive staff as far as putting the pieces in the right position. It's just a matter of getting the pieces. So one uh, another uh, quarterback that uh, is going to be here in the spring. There's, there's, you, you could almost argue there's going to be too many quarterbacks because you no, got no, you cannot make that argument after this past <laughs> season. <laughs> you got Devin Farrell coming in; he's enrolling yeah. early. Yeah, you know, yeah. and of course you got Connor Blumrick, but I see Blumrick moving. <laughs> I, I don't see you know, you don't you don't need five quarterbacks, particularly when one of them's Connor Blumrick. So uh there, it's going to be an interesting room this spring because there's going to be four guys there yeah and devin farrell's enrolling early that's yeah, right so so, so farrell's so enrolling early you got brown wells and then you've got bullock. taj bullock they have taj, bullock and, and blummer I, I really think look if brown wins the job great may the better bullock or whoever may yeah. the best man win i think the best case scenario for virginia tech is if wells wins that job and i think he will because he's the most talented of them and the most experienced he wins that job, and then he's your starter for the next two or three years. Yeah, um, that's the ideal scenario. And then where where, you Brad, develop, where Brad Glenn can mold uh, right, him. and then you develop someone behind him. Or if they're too impatient, then two years from now you add someone from the portal. Yeah. To, well, to and then Brown can be your guy if he winds up being your number two quarterback. Um, I don't see him being a problem in the locker no, room. I think he'll accept not. that role. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Well, he's been in that role. And, and right. <laughs> I think he was actually their third string guy. To, yeah. start, to start the season. He yeah. was one of three quarterbacks South Carolina used. And again, he wants to be here. He's not just coming here to, to get playing time. Right. This right. is a play. This is a destination for him. Yeah. I think, I, I think consider all, all considering what Virginia Tech went through this year with, with the quarterbacks and how it looked in the bowl game where if – if Connor Blummer got hurt, you were throwing Taj Bullock, who had never played out there. And Bullock played, but but I think you're in a good situation with two guys who can play. Wells has a has two years of experience under a belt and redshirted and has played a lot. Brown did pretty well at the end of the season for South Carolina. Put up decent numbers. Um, I think overall it's a really good situation considering everything. And Devin Farrell gets to redshirt. Gets to just develop at his pace. Yeah. Yes. And the thing we're leaving out is, didn't Brown throw for a bunch of yards at St. Francis? I he mean, did. he had a good Yeah, he had a really Francis. good year. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so let's uh, talk about another part of the offense that I think is shaping up pretty well, and I'll go over all the names here. You've got uh, Jaden Blue transferring in from Temple. He's got one year of eligibility. And it, it, it boils down to this. You, you can look at his seasons and you can – nitpick his stats here and there he has 169 career catches if he had 169 career catches at virginia tech he'd be fourth all time on the receptions list that's a lot of catches i don't care who you are where you're from you've caught the ball a lot and uh they also get a uh, wide receiver transfer from uh unc benji gosnell's uh 22 2022 I, tight end recruit correct yes yeah, yeah his, his brother, brother steven I foresee one day Stephen Gosnell catching a game-winning touchdown against North Carolina. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> so let me break it down for you. Um, with his experience, you got to figure Blue's a guy that that I'm, yeah, I'm he not gonna, like double, he looks like wide receiver one off yeah. the yeah, yeah yeah absolutely. So uh, you got Blue, you've got Caleb Smith with a bunch of playing time, bunch of career catches, and then after that you've got Jaden Payute, Dwayne Lofton, Jalen Jones, and those are the guys that have gotten hype. 
have they're studs. have two the, or three career catches, yeah. are studs, have potential. You talk about stretching the field. Can we please send Jaden Payute on a fly pattern and find yes, out if he can do it? Please. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if not, he can just jump over the defensive back because we know the guy can jump into a pickup truck. And then after that, you've got Kelly Lawson, Dallin Wright. Um, and then you get down into names, which I believe are scholarship guys, DJ Sims and Christian Moss. Correct. Yeah. They were true freshmen this past year. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of Who guys. There, there, are, there are a lot of bodies there. Uh, yeah. Yes, there are a lot of, and of then, bodies. And uh, then what Tucker Holloway's the guy coming in, right? I, I don't I don't know whether Virginia Tech will take another yes, that's right. I don't know whether whether Virginia Tech will take another grad transfer or I say grad transfer. transfer. I think we can just double just ball call transfer. Them transfers, yeah. I don't know if they'll take another transfer receiver or not. Um JC Price, you know, is a guy he would have watched the scout team offense a lot this year. So he would have seen a lot of those young wide receivers in person uh, like every day on a daily basis. So, so he should have a good idea of their talent level. Um, so I, I don't know. I, it depends on who's available, I, I would say. Um, but as far as Blue goes, you know, 95 catches as a sophomore. Only caught 40 as a junior, but that was a six-game season because of COVID. So half as, right. half as many games. And this past year, he only played in eight games because he hit the portal and they were horribly coached and had no quarterback and fired their coach. And so his numbers weren't as good. But the, we're basically – he's a, I would say he's a similar – player to Tavion Robinson I think he's uh he's a good player probably lacks elite speed like Tavion Robinson's probably a four seven five guy in the 40 something like that but uh he's very very productive very very productive and I think he slots into the starting lineup immediately you know know you're gonna get a lot out of him so is it fair to say if you're bemoaning the loss of Tavion Robinson they just replaced they just replaced him absolutely yeah I I don't can he can he return punts? Uh, no. I, I was about to say he, he, said, he hasn't been. So so he yeah. so he's not necessarily your return. You're, you're, yeah, right. You're not replacing Tavion Robinson from, 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 from a receiving standpoint. Yeah, technically, I mean, yes, and I think I, I think he's going to be a reliable option, especially for whether it's Grant Wells or Jason Brown or whoever's at quarterback. Jaden Blue is going to be a reliable option. That yeah, you know, and I think it'll in a way, you know, if Caleb Smith is the next guy right there, I think in a way it will help Caleb Smith and whoever's behind him because you know you're going to have an option. It's not like, you know, if you didn't have Jaden Blue, Caleb Smith is going to be the number one option, and that's a lot of stress on on a guy that, you know, who, who he's been a talented guy in the program and he's worked really hard to get to where he is, but he's never really been the number one option in the program. Yeah. And so now you've got a, a guy that can be that guy and everybody else can – you know, fill in their roles around. Right. And now everybody I know thinks of wide receivers in terms of catches. Um, now, Tavion was one heck of a good blocker for Virginia Tech in yeah. the slot, and I'd have to go look. At Which Caleb Smith upgrades. That's, yeah. that's where I was getting at. Pri- you know, this is we want to be a run-first offense. Caleb Smith is basically a small tight end playing wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. He is a fantastic blocking yeah, wide receiver. Yeah, he's a lead blocker. Yeah, yeah very cool. Okay. Uh, so let that wraps up the football discussion. I wanted to get a wanted to get into basketball some. I'm not sure how much. Uh, I know we're like I said, we're recording Wednesday afternoon, and and Tech plays at UVA at nine o'clock tonight. So yeah, because some people won't even actually watch this before the game. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so you'll be listening to this or watching this after Tech and UVA have already played. Uh, David, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know that your record. You are what your record says you are. They're eight and six, right? Zero and three in the ACC. 
Um, I thought things were trending better because they beat St. Bonaventure. They played very well in the first 24 minutes against Duke, if I'm remembering how yeah. the schedule broke out yep. correctly. Lost that, you know, then got a COVID break of almost two weeks. And yeah. and when I, when I watched the NC State game and watched that loss, I didn't really take into account that they – they weren't practicing as a team. They didn't have their legs. Well, when I saw one of the players bicycling through my neighborhood because he trying to stay in shape because he wasn't allowed in the in the practice facility, you know, yeah. you know, it's getting it's getting rough. Um, yeah. So and and we saw what happened to him last year. There are two COVID breaks. They came back. Oh, and four. Right. Yeah. Just you, you couldn't play. Um, it's basketball is timing and conditioning and you saw them they just fall down the stretch i think a lot yeah. of it's rhythm right, i mean yeah. i asked mike young after the game that's an nc state loss um you know which tech led for a large portion of that game and yeah. it just slipped away just down the stretch. yeah the yeah game. and look that that break cost tech the pit game now watch the acc they've already rescheduled the unc game i don't which think is, they'll re- they won't, they're not going to reschedule the pit game which is the win they're going to reschedule but the loss you know what i don't know if you're a Virginia Tech team and you're trying to make the tournament, you need wins, but the North Carolina game will help you more. If, if you win it. Not, not necessarily from a win perspective. Like, yeah, I mean, but, it'll but challenge you more. They're going to challenge you more. Tech's been challenged enough by now. Tech's computer. You, you want an easy win. Yes. I mean, not only for the win, but that's how you bump up your efficiency ratings. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and, you know, uh, Tech is thir- still 37th in the net. In the net. And something like 40th in Sagarin, I think. Yeah, and I they're, read. I think, number 31 in Ken Right, Palm. right. Mm. So you, if you go out there and smoke pit by 20, as you should, then you're going to get a bump in the efficiency ratings and add an extra win. Yeah. You don't play that game, you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so it probably cost Tech a win against Pitt and, in, and increased efficiency numbers. Considering we know what's happened to Tech every time they come off a COVID break, probably cost them the NC State game too. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, but but now what happened? Now you take a whole other week off, and now you got to go on the road. Now four of the next five are on the road. Yeah. And, I don't want to sound like to get I'm getting down or anything. You know, I was actually been in a bad mood like the last two weeks because it's been so cold, and I and I I was sitting there thinking. I don't remember just being in a bad mood when it's this been this cold before. And then I remembered, you know, I, I think I used to be in a bad mood when, when it would get cold every winter. That like basketball would win. We, but, but like then we started winning basketball games, and and Nobody I stopped it. getting I stopped getting in bad yeah. moods in the winter. And now we're not winning basketball games again. And now I'm I'm back to realizing, oh my god, this place is horrible in the winter. Yeah. So they need to start winning basketball. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Look, Mike Young. <laughs> and, and, and will I, I? So I asked Mike after the NC State game. I, I simply said, "What needs to get better?" And he told me bluntly, he was like, "We need to get back to practice." Right. And they didn't. They were never. The team was never on a pause. But there were so many guys. I Missing. mean, from what I had heard, there were five, six, seven yeah, you, guys at a time that weren't seven players. Uh, yeah, there were. Well, you got to have seven to play. Yeah, and there was a there was a handful well, I mean, of guys. Seven were out. Yeah. Well, that. So the but the rest of the guys, the guys that were all right, were practicing behind the scenes. But that's half your team. That you're all missing. you can do is individual work. You can't play five on five basketball. Yeah, yeah. and and trainers. and I think from what I heard, a coach or two had it, and and so Tech was a mess. And yeah. now you've had eight days to prep for Virginia. And this is a Virginia team that is not very good not this very year. Not very good. They are, this is a conference that's not very good this year. Yes, but this is a Virginia team 
it's 12 in terms of adjustments adjusted defensive efficiency out of the entire conference per Ken Palm Virginia's 12th yeah. tech right now Shocking. tech right now is dead last mm-hmm. because it has not played good defense against Wake Forest or NC State. And we're talking conference only games yes conference yes. only games yes. so th- those three games mm-hmm. but especially like t- listening to Tony Bennett on Monday talk about just how they played against North Carolina and and Kevin Luma I mean Orlando Baycott had 29 and 21, mm-hmm. 21 rebounds, 29 rebounds against Virginia this past weekend. And Tony Bennett's like, Kevin Luma's probably sitting there licking his chops. And no this doubt. is, and Kevin Luma's played well this year, but this is a game where he could go have like 30. <laughs> and it's if he plays that Crushed level. Him last year. I'm really interested. I'm, you know, after we do this podcast, I'm driving to Charlottesville. I'm really interested to see how eight days off, but eight days of, of practice, practice, practice turns into a potential win because Tech needs it. This is essentially, this is a must-win game. They've played one game since Christmas. Yeah, and right? they're 0-3, yeah. yeah. 0-3 in the ACC. Yeah, that's correct. You need a win. And one of the things that stuck out to me, Storm Murphy and Kevin Luma were talking after the NC State game. And Storm wasn't, he didn't say fatigue got to him, but he just said down the stretch, they just wanted it more. They were just quicker to the ball. Like, NC State was just, you had more energy. And I'm interested to see if this is a rejuvenated team after sitting out and not being able to, not being able to practice but not play for eight days, mm-hmm. heading into this UVA game where you're going into an environment where you haven't won a couple of well, years. Well, it adds up. Like, uh, when, you, when they came back from COVID last year at home against George Tech, the game was tied at halftime. Yeah. But then George Tech ended up winning by 16 because Tech ran out of gas from all the time they missed. Yeah. And then Tech went on another COVID break and came back and were beating North Carolina in the ACC tournament, but then fell off the last two minutes and lost. Yeah. And then they were beating Florida in the NCAA tournament and then fell off in the last 10 minutes and lost in overtime. So, I mean, it's a trend now. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you have to take time off from COVID, you're out of gas the next game. You yeah. can't play 40 minutes of basketball. So you're right. We'll see if it trends up from here. Um, or if that shutdown is really going to be the deciding factor on the season. Yeah. I'm afraid that it is. I think the timing of it was horrible because yeah. it cost Tech two two wins. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and they're not going to let them pro- watch. They won't let them replay the pit game. They'll make a, but they're, they're going to make them go play, re, re, replay the game. It's probably going to be a loss in North yeah. Carolina. So look, looking at the schedule to get down to them in the, into the minutia of whether or not they can play pit again, I just looked down and scanned it. They have a game on February 5th. They have a game on February 12th. You could make up the Pitt game in the middle of that week, but guess who they play on February 5th at Pittsburgh? Hey, play them back-to-back games, it's right? Just, just say, we'll play you at your place, and then you come and, to yeah, our yeah, place the yeah. following Tuesday or Yeah, Wednesday. I mean, you could do that. Um, um, so so tonight's game is just – it is hugely important. If you lose, you're 0-4, and it's more of the same. If you win, then you just kind of sit there and look at it and go, huh, okay, wonder what that's going to be. Yeah, and it, it's interesting listening. T- Tony Bennett was like, I think this Virginia Tech team is really, really good. And I don't know if, if he had, you know, coaches will, will obviously say that about yeah, the Yeah, I, I once sat in a room with Roy Williams when he called James Johnson a big-time coach. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but, but what's interesting is by all almost all means analytics, this Virginia Tech team rates well. Yeah. It, it does, just, but and Mike Young on the ACC teleconference on Monday was just like, we just need to be able to finish games. And if Virginia Tech can play a full forty minutes of basketball and close the game at the end, I think this team will win against yeah. Virginia. Wh- wh- which team improves defensively? Because yeah. um, I, 
you know, I, what? What's the game on tonight? ESPN two. ESPN2. Well, they're ESPN2. they're they're going to do their lazy analysis and say two of the best defensive teams in the ACC, and it's going to show their points per game. Yeah, right. And that's a lazy analysis because you can you consider that the, the these two teams play at the lowest tempo of any yes. teams in the ACC. There's going to be fewer points in a game. When, the, when, when there are yeah. fewer possessions, so of course their points per game allowed is going to be lower. Right, Duh. Yeah. It's uh, fun, yeah. right. But if you actually look at the traditional stats, or not, excuse me, not the traditional stats, the advanced the stats, advanced the efficient, yeah. the 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 adjusted uh, offensive and defensive efficiency, and all that for conference only games, just for ACC games, the, 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 this is two of the worst teams in the league so far in yeah. points per possession. Yeah. It doesn't show up that way. Yeah, I mean, you only give up 64 points to NC State. It doesn't sound like a lot, but there's a lot of points per possession because there weren't that many possessions yeah. in the game. As, as I wrote in my in my preview I wrote yesterday, which you can check out on TechHotline.com, this is Virginia Tech needs to play defense. Mm-hmm. Defense will win Virginia Tech games going forward if, they're, it's a, if it's a connected team. You know, St. Bonaventure had a bad game, but Virginia Tech also played excellent defense. Yeah, you went, went exactly. Exactly. You have to, and, it has and to start te- on the defense. It, it really does. You coaches say that all the time, and you think it's cliche, and you're like, hey, there's whatever, just go make some shots. But, I mean, <laughs> it's actually true for Virginia Tech. Like, when they've played best offensively this year is when it's coming off a defensive stop. Yeah. Or a stretch of defense. And, and Tech stops. was all right defensively in the first half against Duke. Tech played good defense, sure. and then yeah. Paolo Bancaro went off, yeah. and Duke is one of the best teams in the country, and Duke's going to do that. But they Tech went toe-for-toe against an eh, NC State team and did not play well defensively. Mm-hmm. If Tech plays well defensively, that's a win. Sure. If Tech plays well defensively down the stretch in a lot of the ACC games where a team like Virginia is struggling to score and is really only hanging on because because it's just played. Virginia doesn't have the players they used to have, man. Exactly. This is a this is a if Virginia Tech plays good defense, this is a win. Yeah. I'm interested to see if Virginia, you know, in the past, Virginia has shot lights out against Virginia Tech and John Paul Jones Arena. Can Virginia Tech come in there and play good defense? It's funny that Virginia has not capitalized on the Kyle Guy era, yeah. winning a national title, and they have not turned that into improved recruiting and, and well, continuing yeah. to increase the talent level of the program. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have a few coming in. Um, I think they have uh, about three or four four-stars coming in. Uh, this following season, because I know I've seen you know a lot of I like looking at a lot of key UVA Twitter guys, uh, especially after losses. But um, they're like, this is a sacrificial lamb year season. Yeah, yeah like we knew we were going to be bad this year. We're like just I'm trying to pull up the I'm trying to actually just stall time so I can pull up their uh, recruiting. Yeah, but say yeah, signs one of its best classes ever is uh, the first the headline 20, that the came 2022 up. class. Yeah. yeah, man. Speaking of text, 2022 Third in class. The ACC. Te- yeah, 11th in the country. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. There you so, go. So UVA has a good class coming in. Tech, I figured I'd throw this in now. Um, around intermission of this podcast, Tech Men's Basketball announced that Patrick Wessler and Rodney Rice are McDonald's All-American nominees. Wow. So Wessler's well, McDonald's Well, but, but how many people get nominated? I don't know. I, um, I could not I tell you 90. That. Yeah, so 90. a lot. But, but you got talent coming in. De facto top 100 guys, you know, mm-hmm. which isn't the same as it is in football. Yeah, but, you know, still, yeah. you can't be recruiting 250 plus and expect to be competitive in the ACC. Right. Um, all right, so we'll toss it over to, to you, Nick. You got any good questions for us? To, to uh, a few floating around. One was, what happened to the 757? Why did it drop off? Mm. Oh, God, I could do talk about that for an hour, and I've written about it multiple times. Do you yeah, want people to come after articles. us on Twitter? Uh, and- I think one thing is. 
they lost a lot of their best coaches. Yeah. Um, uh, the the coaches from the seven five seven has have since gone and won state championships in North Carolina and Georgia and places like that. And we used to know the names Mike Smith. Uh, no, we used to know them. Uh, yeah, Bill D at yeah, Phoebus. And, uh, right, and plus I, I th- yeah, a I th- lot of them retired. Yeah. A lot of them retired. A lot of them start went to other states to make more money, and I don't think the state of Virginia has adequately replaced them. Um, I, I also think there's an issue in the 757 now, and this happened. This is the same thing that happened to Miami football, that because you're from a certain area, like we all hyped up, and the, we're at fault for this just as much as anything, just as much as anybody, hyping an area because of the area and not the people. Like I, I remember a Cam Chancellor tweet a couple of years ago, and and it's like, and he, it was something like, oh, football players from the seven of seven, they're just bred differently. They just they're, born different. Yeah, just something like different. that. And I'm like, no, Cam, you forget that you were a hundred eighty pound two star recruit that nobody wanted, and you turned yourself into a football player. Yeah. It didn't matter. It wasn't because you were from the seven five seven. It's because you wanted. Right, right. It's it's too. It, like Marcus Vick started this stuff with the seven five seven eye black during games. Well, Reggie Bush started that stuff, and and well, it, specifically it, for the seven five seven. Right, right. Um, I, th- I think there's a, a culture out there of I'm, I'm from I'm from a certain area. Uh, so I think the success I don't think the seven five seven has handled its, its success very well. Yeah. So I, I think the athletic athleticism in general, with the exception of the peninsula, is the same as it as it always was. I don't think a lot of the players are getting developed as well, and I don't yeah. just mean developed on the football field. I mean developed from an emotional standpoint. Uh, a toughness standpoint, yeah, all of that stuff. I just think it's you're, it's just a completely different scene out there than it used to be. Yeah, and everything's gone from being team oriented to being camp oriented, and right, and your seven social on media seven, media and that stuff is huge stuff. out there in that part of the state. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So uh, another one. Uh, I'm going to try to actually twist this uh, question more. But remember what, to say who's asking it. Yeah. So this is from Hokie Bill sixty eight. What did you all think of Taj's few snaps when he got to play? I Maryland was up, what, 40 at that point? <laughs> Probably. And yeah. they're not trying late in the fourth quarter. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know if their first string was in there or second exactly. string or third string. I, they didn't give him much. They didn't ask much of no. him. You yeah. know, they, it, it was one was read okay. each throw. But, I mean, he did fine. He did as well as you could expect yeah. under yeah. the circumstances. Um J.C. Price would know again would know a lot more about Todd Bullock than anybody sitting here. Yeah. So, w- whatever Brent Pry feels about Todd Bullock is probably number one from what he's seen watching practice out of his office window leading up to the bowl game. Number two, what J.C. Price has told him because J.C. would have seen Todd every single day this year running because Todd would be running the scout oh. team offense against the starting defense. Yeah. So J.C. should have a good feeling of what he can and can't do at this point, but. It's too small a sample size and in a difficult in, situation in a to, game. To, yeah. to be able to make a judgment. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, those are the last ones. But I know I talked to you guys over break uh, in this podcast. Uh, Athens almost burned to the ground Monday night <laughs> in the early Tuesday morning. Uh-huh. And I remember just the scene of downtown Blacksburg after – Tech just beat Ohio State at Ohio State. How oh. crazy that was. I remember the brawl before the LSU game in 2002. Yeah. Between LSU fans and Virginia Oh, Tech no, just fans. a brawl. Well, not a brawl. It was like a, <laughs> a fight. <laughs> it wasn't even a fight, really. It was more like a riot. Like, the, 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 like the, the, the streets were filled. You couldn't get the cars 
You could, yeah. Cars couldn't get down Main Street. It was, yeah. it was like Bourbon Street. Yeah. yeah. I remember so, one of my friends got arrested. And like two, two or three years later, he was still wearing like – He'd still wear the same sweatshirt, and it had a hole in the arm where the cops had tackled him or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was like his pride and joy. Oh, so man. my question is, like, does Blacksburg exist on the map after? It, you know, that's very far stretched if Virginia Tech wins the national championship in yeah. football or basketball. But still, if that happens, what happens to the town? Mm, I think it extends into Christiansburg at that point. Center Street would be bumping. Uh, I, I think It'd be the, everywhere. I think the yeah yeah. I don't think it would be that that well. Here's the thing: Tots like, wouldn't exist. Like Georgia itself is so insane for football. Yeah. Like if Virginia, let's say Virginia Tech won the national championship on Monday night. I don't know. All, there's nobody in Blacksburg. This town is dead. Yeah. Like all, all the restaurants and bars were closed while all the students were on. Yeah. There's not enough people in this town to support stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and everybody that wanted to support the team would be at the game. Right. Right. So like. That's a solid So point. would Blacksburg burn down if we won a national title? No, it would not. And the students aren't aren't even back yet. Right. That's now what, what if I'm, it's yeah. men's basketball when everybody wow, is here. So I know. Plus, it's so darn cold. I'm not going to go outside this time of year. <laughs> yeah, Chris is going to be downstairs at Champs. So I, I remember the night that Tech won the 1995 NIT. I watched it in Champs with a buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, it was probably a Monday night game or something like that. And Tech wins. And I'm like, all right, man, got to head home. So I get out and I jump in the car. And as I'm driving away from Champs, people are spilling out in the streets. I'm going, huh. So then I go home. Turns out there was a huge celebration out in the street that night for an NIT championship. Yeah. You know, my, and, and it's funny. My dad was talking about it with some of our our some of his buddies on, on Monday night after that. They were like, "Yeah, you guys remember the the '95? You know, when Tech won the NIT? You know, I wonder what that would be like nowadays. Like, you? No, I don't think that many people. You're like your average student around town wouldn't even pay attention that we were yeah. watching. Like, I remember going out. God, who did I go with? It was like two years ago. It was when Buzz was our – no, it was three years ago. Like, Buzz was our coach. So, we were really good. Like, I remember going out with, like – I think Bill Roth was with us and a couple other people. And, like, we had to ask to get the game on television because – and there was plenty of people in the Where bar. Where are you at? We were at Champs, which is a sports bar. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen it happen in, like, PKs and, and yeah. other places, too, where, like – you're the only person in there that even knows there's a basketball game. I know. It's, yeah. it's just not that. Yep. Yeah, because there's so many different entertainment options these days, and people yeah. just don't think about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So, right. Well, I know if during your freshman year, West Virginia win. That was a big that deal. Was, yeah, it was, that was really funny. You know, we're three weeks in. fresh My freshman year in 2017, oh. we're three weeks in, and, and I remember watching it. I live in Pritchard and watched it in the Pritchard Lounge with a ton of people, and I just remember – one of the fire alarms in one of the dorms went off. So people, but but people were just spilling out anyway, <laughs> and people were just like running around campus like chickens with their head cut off. Super like, Yeah, we beat West Virginia. Yeah. That was awesome. And that was the best football moment of your four years at Virginia Tech, wasn't it? Twenty eighteen. Uh, no, I would State. say the the Virginia game, the the Virginia game at home. The skill money don't make money game. Yeah, or that the, one. The, that the one was in overtime. That was enjoyable, and the North North Carolina six overtime game yeah, was enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. True, and was, the 2018 Florida State game, although that was a road. Yeah, game. that was cool too. It's funny how a lot of the, you know, a couple of those games didn't turn out to be much. But all right, appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we've been going a long time, almost a couple hours. So sure uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Do not forget if you're watching the YouTube video to click subscribe and help us out. And uh, 
Thanks to everybody for contributing. And uh, again, this podcast is brought to you by Southeast Regional Training Center. That's what I meant to say when we came back from break. Remember, uh, remember I was like, what was I going to say when we came back from break? I was going to thank the Southeast Regional Training Center. So uh, that wraps things up for episode 218. Thanks for listening and watching. And good luck to the Hokies in Charlottesville tonight. Thanks for watching.